Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Chapel Southeast podcast. Thank you for joining us for our study through the book of Ecclesiastes. In the 21st century, our lives are continually getting busier and busier. Each day brings more work, more stresses, and more responsibilities. Our hurried lives under the sun can seem monotonous, empty, and meaningless. All of it leaves us with one question. What's the point of it all? This is the question that is faced head-on in the book of Ecclesiastes. Grab your Bibles, and let's jump in. Well, we are resuming our study, or continuing our study through the book of Ecclesiastes. So if you'd like, you can turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 3 if you have a Bible with you, or on your phone, or whatever. And... Just a, a hello. I, I know many of us have been praying for uh, Mary and Ryan and the kids and uh, looking forward to having them back here next week as well. But prayer, prayers would be appreciated continually. And then also uh, Doug and Janet are on a, on a little vacation and also, or I should say, they're going down, they went down to California, I think, to, for a, a memorial service and then also for the uh, pastor's wives conference and a little vacation so mix it all together but uh, be praying for them as they're away as well um, you know what I want, I want to pray again before we dive into this because this is a very different passage than the previous two as we think about what we've been studying in Ecclesiastes this is you know a little bit of a departure now from what he's been what Solomon's been communicating or God's been communicating through Solomon up to this point. So let's, let's pray again. God, we come to you not with uh, an abundance or overabundance of knowledge about you. I mean, there is much that we can know about you, but we are so limited. We are limited by these frail human bodies, these minds that are still under the curse of sin and god it is our desire now as we as we open the bibles you have given to us your your letter to us we pray once again that it would come alive that it wouldn't be just mere words on a page or a screen or some piece of history or even perhaps just a story but God, this would be your voice speaking to us tonight. And they wouldn't just fill our heads with knowledge, or, or as Solomon said, with useless wisdom. But rather, God, that it would be filled with the knowledge of you. So we ask you to pour out your spirit upon us now minister to us, prepare us for the week that lies ahead to be used for your glory, we ask in your name. Amen. So as I said, we're studying through Ecclesiastes, and as we have been studying through the first two chapters, in chapter one, Solomon was looking for the meaning of life through the pursuit of wisdom, and, and specifically, he's got this overarching theme as you think about the book of Ecclesiastes. The, the phrase comes up over and over and over again, everything under the sun or under the sun is repeated. 
And what he's trying to get us to understand is if there is no eternity, if, this, if life is just what the days that we have living under the sun, day after day, the rising and setting of the sun, if that's all there is, it's all vanity, futility. He said he found no meaning in this diligent, wise living under the sun. He said it was futile. In chapter 2, he continues his search, seeking it through pleasure and amusement. And at the end of that chapter, he contrasts that with the reality that death awaits every one of us. And we're going to see that again tonight. In each of these areas, he found life to be meaningless if God does not matter and there is no eternity. He said, wisdom just for the sake of gathering information, having fun just for the sake of having fun, why do any of it if at the end of life we die and we hand all of our possessions off to someone else who doesn't even care? As we closed the study last week, I asked the question, based on the words of Solomon and, and that death is certain, in what should we be investing our time and energy? How then should we be living since there is a God and there is an eternity to look forward to? How can our homes, the basic things of life, uh, any authority that we may have or possessions, money, our relationships, how can they be used to glorify the name of God? As Solomon considers each of these vain attempts at purpose, he now takes a departure, as I mentioned before, a departure from kind of this um, downer, <laughs> you know, I guess I'll go eat worms attitude. And he now speaks of the meaning of life through the perspective of time, through the lens of time. And this is where we pick it up here in chapter 3. Verse 1, he says, there is an appointed time for everything, and there is a time for every matter under heaven. He wants to set the stage here. In one translation, it says, to every season. There is an appointed time for every season. So he shifts the focus from the futility toward a very real purpose in life. He understands time never stops. We can appreciate this. However, there is an appointed time or season for each aspect of life. And this is something we really need to grasp because the, the craziness that we often experience in our lives, we tend to miss the point that there is a season and a purpose in every one of those seasons. Proverbs 16, 4 says, The Lord has made everything for, their own for its own purpose, even the wicked for the day of evil. So he, he's emphasizing this idea that there is a purpose in all aspects of life. And, and listen, we, we like to classify life in two categories most often, good and bad, right? If we're honest, there's the, there's the good stuff that we really enjoy and there's the bad stuff that we'd rather you know, leave to someone else that we don't like. But I'm not so sure that is, you know, a fully biblical way 
because even God says in his word that we should count it all joy when we encounter various trials, right? Difficulties. He said, because there can be joy found in those things, and we'll talk about that a little more tonight. Romans chapter 9 reveals the heart of God, waiting, giving time for all to know the hope of salvation despite those who might reject it. God, God has a time even for the things like, why are you waiting? Why are you not dispensing justice? He has a time for that. First two, let's pick it up now. And there's a whole list here that he rolls through. He says, a time to give birth and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to throw stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to shun embracing. A time to search and a time to give up is lost. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear apart and a time to sew together. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. You can hear it ringing in your ears perhaps a little bit, the word time. It's repeated 22 times or 32 times in these 22 verses. It's repeated and again and again to emphasize the unrelenting and kind of tedious march of our human existence. It's just going to keep pressing forward. And if there is no God and there is no eternity, what's the point? But Solomon here, he's going he's to shift and he's going to say there is a point to it. As we consider verse 2, perhaps we're reminded of what Paul wrote, to, wrote in Hebrews chapter 9. Verse 27, and just as it is destined for people to die once, and after this comes the judgment. So as we look at verse 2, there is a time for birth. There is a time for new life to come, and there is a time for death. They're the bookends of our lives. As someone once said, life is a terminal illness. We don't often think of it that way, especially when you're young. You're like... You are not thinking about that. That's why we do the really crazy, stupid stuff that we do when we're young, because we think we're invisible. We got lots of time. We're looking at our parents or our grandparents. Oh, I got lots of time ahead of me. But we do not know the number of our days. Only God knows that. At the day of our birth, we're already moving toward an appointment with God. An appointment with God and His final judgment, where will we stand with that? For the wicked, those who reject Him, eternal separation, that's, that's what awaits. But the, for the one who embraces Him and abides in Him, He says, eternal life. And this is one of the most important aspects that we can communicate to our children while they're yet young, while they're still thinking they're invincible. It's like, the day is going to come and not of your choosing, when you will have to stand before God. It's better to consider the consequences or the, the relationships with the actions that I have now. This, is, this particular passage, by the way, is, is often quoted at funerals. 
because this is a perfect time for us to think about those kind of things, to realize that there is a time for each thing in our life. Moving forward into the passage, we see the contrasting of each positive aspect of life with a negative. There's a positive and a negative given in each one, which further uh, highlights kind of that hopeless nature of life under the sun. However, it also reminds us that in, their, in life there is good and bad, both good and evil, and it's dispensed across the board. Matthew 5, 45, it says, so that you may know this, so that you may be the sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. God says, this is the reality. I play no favorites except for those who belong to me. <laughs> but I play no He says, I send the rain. I send the, my blessings upon the righteous and the unrighteous. And that's how, again, we, as we look at through this list and we see these different things and we can think, Lord, wait a second. How is it, why is it that you want to give your blessing to those who are rejecting you? And the Scriptures tells us so that they would not have an excuse so that we would not have an excuse that he would say, I showed you my goodness over and over again. And it says he showed us the fullest extent of his love by coming down out of heaven and offering himself. But as we look farther into the passage, it's not going to go on forever. The day of reckoning is coming. In verse 3, it says, there is a time to kill. I've always kind of been a little bit puzzled over this. And, and for some people, I think this is, a, a, for, for me for a while, it was a prob problematic verse. Especially if you hold to the view that killing a person, another person, is always wrong. But let's, let's really understand what it's saying here. It's important to note that God is not advocating murder. Murder, which is the premeditated killing of another person, another human, without moral justification. Big difference there. In fact, this word is completely different from the word used in Exodus chapter 20, verse, th uh, verse 13, which is the, where the sixth commandment is found, thou shalt not murder. And in fact, later on here in our passage in verse 8, war is mentioned, which seems to affirm that there is also a time to kill. I mean, that's a hard thing for us to wrap our heads around, but again, we'll dive into that just a little bit. The Old Testament is full of examples where God commands war, the killing of a people. And admittedly, as we read through the, the Old Testament especially, it really, can be really challenging for us to understand His reasoning. But this one thing we can know for certain, God in His character and nature has revealed to us that He has a supreme moral purpose behind everything He does. There's nothing that is wasted. It is purposeful to bring about His glory and our good for those who believe in Him. And again, we affirm that again in, in Romans. There is a time or a season to stand in defense of the oppressed and the persecuted. I know this, uh, 
couple of weeks ago, we had the week of prayer, praying for those Christians in Afghanistan. There is a season to stand up against wrong. That God calls us to be the defender of the weak, and each in the way that He calls us. Verse 4, it says, there is a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. Now, in the last few months, we've helped several families with funeral arrangements and memorial services. As I mentioned, this is often quoted, but we help them through this grieving, this mourning process. We, when I say we, the body of Christ, we band together. It's one of the most beautiful things that I appreciate about the body here at Calvary Chapel Southeast is how we gather around those who are mourning and do what we can to demonstrate and to be the hands and feet of God to people that have lost something significant. One thing passed along to me regarding funerals or memorials is that they are not only necessary, but healthy. It's healthy for us to grieve over death. You see, because in the garden, God did not create mankind to be mortal. In fact, He created us to be immortal. And it's clearly seen in Genesis chapter 3, verse 22, you know, Adam and Eve are cast out of the garden. They are now shielded or prevented from eating from the tree of life. And it says, God says, lest they eat of it and live forever. God didn't want mankind at that point to be forever trapped in this cycle of sin. So He blocks the way to the tree of life and prevents them and all of us all these centuries later from living forever. So now that experiencing death becomes a reminder, a reminder of our need for redemption and salvation, it actually becomes the tool, the teacher to point us back to our Creator. Death becomes the dreaded end of every person, and with it, the loss of relationships and the accompanying grief. Therefore, there is a time for weeping and mourning, but it draws our attention and our need for Christ. Ecclesiastes 7.2, these almost go hand in hand. It says, it is better go to, a, go to a house of mourning than to a house of feasting, because that is the end of every person, and the living take it to heart. One of the most difficult times to preach the gospel is at a funeral or memorial. But it is where people are most often open to the reality of mortality. And so God says there is an appointed time, a perfect season for mourning, for death, for dying, for grieving, because it can open our eyes to the end. And then what? What is at the end? Now look at verse 5. It says, there's a time to throw stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to shun embracing. Again, one of those passages for many years I just did not understand. 
Okay, a time to gather stones and a time to throw stones. However, as maybe just probably about 10, 15 years ago, as I was reading through this passage in a different context, and I was thinking about my childhood in the Yakima Valley of central Washington, I, I got a little perspective, a little perspective as when it was compared to the biblical geography and geology there in Israel. Living in the, the Weenas Valley, it's a small valley attached, attached to the larger Yakima Valley. One of the things that you experience as a farmer or rancher uh, or fence builder is the never-ending supply of rocks. We used to joke that the fields grew rocks about as well as it did wheat or hay. And so to this day even, as you drive through some of these communities, and you see it in central and eastern Oregon as well, um, fenced pastures or fields with these large wire rock cribs uh, built all along them. And the reason being is the ground, you, you couldn't dig very deep to put a post in, so you dig as deep as you could stand, digging rocks out as you go. You put the post in, and then you'd build this wire fence around it, and you'd fill the wire cage with rocks to hold the post in place, and then attach the rest of the fence. It became a, a method of building fences. Well, Israel is no different. A land of plenty of rocks. And they would use them to build borders and pa- uh, fences along their fields. Now, to prep the fields or pastures, you first had to gather all those stones. Sometimes you'd use this crib, you'd pull it behind the tractor, um, and and then you'd pick all the stones up, you'd plow it, you'd pick up the stones again, you'd plow it, you'd pick up the stones again, you'd plow it, and you'd just keep adding to the piles or to your fencing. Now, roll backwards to the cultural context that this is tied to, the historical context, Think with me now, if you live in Israel and you're building fences and you don't want to use precious wood, you build these fences or these boundary lines out of all these rocks. And now you get in a big argument with your neighbor. Or worse, you have the enemy comes in or you're attacking an enemy and you come in to take their land. And you know you can't totally take their land, but you want to disrupt their lives. Well, what you do is you'd take all those stones along the edges of the field and you'd throw them into the fields. And this would slow down their ability to grow food. It would disrupt their lives dramatically. There is a time, he says, to gather stones and there's a time to throw stones. And he says also there's a time to embrace and a time to shun embracing. And you think with me as, we, as we're in relationships there is absolutely times that we need to be close to one another. That, I, that to use a phrase from Dr. Joe Aldrich at Multnomah Bible College many, many years ago, we need Jesus with, uh, Jesus with skin on. There are times that we need that closeness, that intimate fellowship. But just like Jesus did, there are times that we need to separate We need to get away. We need to spend some time just with God, enjoying His intimate, the intimacy of that relationship that we might have a right relationship with others. We need to set those times apart. It's healthy, it's good for us.
In verses 1 through 8, Solomon supports his case that there is a time for everything. Furthermore, we are take, to take advantage of these seasons of life. As one writer put it, there is a season of grace given by God to each of us. Once passed, there is no more entrance into that grace. Only sorrow of loss remains. And, and it's important that we don't miss those lest we miss the opportunity for the grace and the joy that is found in them, both in good or bad, in the pleasant and unpleasant times of life. Considering the prior two chapters along with this, what opportunities are we missing by not recognizing the goodness and the grace of God, not laying hold of those things that He's putting in front of us, that He's showing us, he says, you need this right now. This is your season to sort some things out. Are we too busy focusing on the hardship and not the blessing within it? I love the message from this last Sunday um, from Don McClure. He was looking at uh, Joshua coming into the land and looking there at Jericho. And, and what, what a challenge he was facing not just the city of Jericho, but the mantle now of leadership of the nation Israel. And he meets the, uh, the angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnate Christ, and he asks him, are, are you for us or are you against us? And, and Jesus says, neither, <laughs> neither. And Joshua falls down and worships. And that's the heart of God for us in all circumstances of life as we look at them, both in the pleasant and the unpleasant, are we willing to fall down and worship? And then, and then, in obedience, step out where He points us to go. Because in that story, in that piece of history, that story, it wasn't just, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm neither for you or against you, but here's what I want you to do. He, there's an obedience that needs to take place. There is a godly purpose when we stand in the defense of the defenseless. There is comfort to be found as we comfort those with the comfort, as Scripture says, comfort with which we ourselves have received. And there is wisdom in silence, in stepping away from relationships, and there is wisdom when there is a time to speak the truth. With purpose and meaning in all things, Solomon asks the question in verses 9 and 10. What benefit is there for the worker from that in which he labors? He's, he's, he's tying this back to the previous two chapters. If all we have are our days lived under the sun, just day after day, no purpose, what good is this? But in this, in this chapter, he has a ready answer for us. Verse 10, he has said, I've seen the task which God has given the sons of mankind with which to occupy themselves. He has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also set eternity in their heart. Without the, possi that, the possibility that mankind will find out the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end. So here in verse 11, I think is one of the most profound statements regarding our knowledge of God. He has made everything appropriate in its time, 
And he has also set eternity in our hearts, their hearts. He says, in fact, there is a, an appropriate time for each thing in life. And it's because he has set eternity in our hearts. All the seasons of life, even the events that repeat themselves, the things that we wish, like, I thought I learned that, I'd like to be done with it and move on to the next thing, even those things, they find their purpose in the existence and the truth of God and eternity with Him. You see, because from the beginning to the end, we are constantly seeking meaning and purpose. That's why there's no end to the desire to find something new. Have you ever experienced that when you've started a hobby? And you pour yourself into it and, and you learn everything you think you can learn and you come to the end of it and you're like, what now? What now? You see, because in those moments we've often focused on the hobby and not what God wants to learn for us in the midst of that or to use us in the midst of that. Mankind has forever been trying to explain our existence and purpose on the earth. And, and much of the attempts of mankind to explain that deny the existence of God, deny the existence of our Creator. In fact, every major world religion has a creation story. Every major religion, world religion, has a creation story, but only one, but only one has consistently lined up with the facts that we know about all the sciences, about history, about astronomy, astrophysics, as, um, geology, archaeology, all these different disciplines have consistently lined up with what God has already said from the beginning. Many of these things known long before they were discovered. Long before they were discovered. Speaking of the circle of the earth. Speaking of the tides. God has placed the knowledge of himself within the natural order of things. And he has placed a longing in our hearts to discover, discover them. It says, it's, it says in, in the Psalms, it says, the heavens declare his glory. They pour forth speech day and night, declaring him to us. Romans 1.20, for the, since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, that is his eternal power and his divine nature, his character, have been clearly perceived, being understood by what has been made so that they are without excuse, speaking of those who have rejected him. He says, I've made it clear to all mankind that I exist. Try as, as we might, we are unable to escape the facts. The God of the Bible exists. And as Hebrews 11.6 says, he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So with this, Solomon proclaims now in verse 12 and 13, I know that there is nothing better for them to rejoice and to do good in one's lifetime. Moreover, that every person who eats and drinks sees good all in all his labor. This is the gift of God. 
Because God has revealed himself along with his character, his nature, his commands, he says we're now responsible. We ought to respond to him in thanks. We are told to rejoice, to, to express joy again and again and again and again. And out of that joy to do good to others during our lives. Jesus summed it up this way in Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40. He's, when, when asked, teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Upon these two commandments hang the whole law and the prophets. On these two things hangs the entirety of God's word known at that time. All of the Old Testament. That we ought to rejoice and to do good in our lifetime because these are gifts from God, our very breath. That every good and perfect gift comes down from who? The Father of lights. And that doesn't change. There's no, it says there's no shifting or shadow. He does not change. It is desire, his desire is to give us the best gifts. We could go back and forth in the Gospels and understand that he, that he is the best Father. He isn't like some of us earthly fathers that make mistakes and make a mess of our families. No, He is perfect. And he desires that, that childlike relationship with us. More than that, verse 14, I know that everything God does will remain forever. Everything God does will remain forever. There is nothing to add to it. There is nothing to take from it. And God has so worked that people will fear him. That which is, that which is, is what has already been, and that which, which will be has already been, and God seeks what has passed by. He's saying all that has been done, God's seen it from the beginning to end. Nothing escapes him. Everything he does has purpose and meaning, and it has eternal ramifications. We can add nothing to it. First Peter 1.25 tells us we are, that His Word will remain forever. When we pick up our Bibles, we are looking at an eternal document, not the paper pages, but the words that have been spoken. You and I can add nothing to God. Now, you've probably heard Pastor Doug and others say, you know, God doesn't need us. I mean, for, for us, oftentimes, especially as Americans, what do you mean you don't need me? But God does not need us. It was His good pleasure to create us, to have a relationship with us, and to even go so far as to restore the relationship we broke. But He doesn't need us, but He does enjoy us. 
So much so, he loves us so much that he said, I will even die for these rascals. More than that, since he is the sovereign God, there's, everything that he does remains forever. We can add nothing to him. We can take nothing from him. He is all-powerful. Nothing escapes his notice. Therefore, nothing escapes his judgment. Verse 16, furthermore, I have seen under the sun that in the place of justice there is wickedness. He's kind of rolling backwards now. He's saying like, oh man, I, I look around me and if life was just this, I see that in place of justice there is wickedness and in the place of righteousness there is wickedness. I said to myself, God will judge the righteous and the wicked for a time for every matter and for every deed is there. And it's this, it's this that when, when things are incredibly unfair, when there is a lack of justice, when there is a lack of morality, biblical morality, biblical justice, that we can have great hope and joy and peace. The scripture said God is not slow about keeping his promise as some count slowness, right? He's not just hanging out like, well, you've got nothing better to do. I'm going to let another couple hundred years pass by. No, he is intentional about every bit of time and every purpose that exists or, or every event that ever exists. He's not twiddling his thumbs, he is watching every event because it is his desire that none should perish. Everyone have an opportunity to hear the hope and the truth of the gospel. And that should give us hope as we look at the times that we live in and say, yes, there are some crazy things going on that just don't add up. There seems to be real injustice Think again with me as we look at Afghanistan, Iraq, many other countries like them, where to, to name the name of Jesus Christ is the end of your life. And some would say that is the ultimate injustice. No. No, quite frankly, that's God's severe mercy towards those who commit such acts. Even, even to Paul, it was God's severe mercy that Stephen was stoned. You see, because it was Paul who would later write most of what we read in the New Testament. Can you imagine, as he thinks through his life, the least I could do is give all of my life to Christ. And I think through the, the times where in, in, the, in, in God's church, the church has grown the most during the heights of persecution. That may very well be us. And that's why he tells us in other passages that we are to stand firm while there is still day, while there is still time. As we have considered the ever-shifting ground of politics, morality, and spirituality, 
one thing remains the same. God's final answer to all the foolishness. Galatians 6, 7 through 10, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. Let's not become discouraged in doing for good, for in due time, in due time we will reap if we do not become weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let's do good to all people and especially to those who are of the household of faith. God makes it very clear. There is a time for everything under the sun. There is a time for every act. And there is a time for His coming judgment. God will judge each of us according to our works, whether done by faith or by the flesh. And each, will re- each of us will receive a harvest, the harvest of our thoughts and our actions. Whether or not we claim Christ determines the reward. In Galatians here, we are reminded to be faithful, to not be discouraged, to preach the gospel of faith in Christ and assist others, and especially other followers of Jesus. We, of all people, ought to treat one another the best. They will know that you are my disciples in that you have love for one another. But sadly, sometimes it's like, you know, we're, I don't know, on the farm, we used to raise about 100, and, oh, about 100 turkeys. We did, only did it a couple times, and here's why. You got 100 turkeys, little baby turkeys, little poults, and if one of them develops a little sore, the rest of them will pick at it. And inadvertently, another one gets a sore, and another one, and, a, and they're just, pretty soon there's dead, tur- dead baby turkeys everywhere. Domestic white turkeys are some of the dumbest animals that have ever walked the planet. See, sometimes we treat each other like that, don't we? We find the thing we don't like, we find the thing that bugs us or that looks gross, and we pick it to death. God has a lot to say about that. Why do you judge one another? How, is, how can you judge the speck that's in your brother's eye when you've got this timber in your own. He says, they will know that you are my disciples and that you have love for one another. Not that you are critical of one another, and yet this is how we live sometimes. How would we characterize our days, our weeks, our months, our years? How would we characterize our lives? How would the non-believer at work or at school or a neighbor, how would they characterize us? Are we encouraging others to seek Him, to do good, being steadfast in our efforts? Because there is a time and a season for all of it, and there is a time for His judgment. Now, Solomon closes this chapter, he says in verse 18 and following, I said to myself regarding the sons of mankind, God is testing them in order for them to see that they are as animals, they to themselves. For the fate of the sons of mankind and the fate of animals is the same. As one dies, 
so dies the other. Indeed, they all have the same breath, and there is no advantage for mankind over animals, for all is futility. All go to the same place, all came from dust, and all return to the dust. Who knows that the spirit of the sons of mankind ascend upward, and the spirit of animal descends downward to the earth? He's asking these rhetorical questions, like, if all we have, if this is how we want to actually live our lives, like God doesn't see and God doesn't care and God's not going to judge, then all we are is animals, he says, but in fact, God is testing humanity. He's revealed himself. He has allowed difficulties to arise to test us so that we might look and say, wow, if there is no God, I'm just an animal and I can do what I want. I can devour my neighbor. And there's no hope of, do I go to heaven? Do I go to hell? Am I, you know, what about the animals? What happens to them? And, and God is trying to provoke us to say, really? This is all there is. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar, some of you may uh, be familiar with the actress Shirley MacLaine. And, and it, in one of the movies, she's standing on the seashore, and I can't remember exactly what she shouts, but it's, you know, kind of like, I'm significant, or I'm, and, you know, and that's like, that's like the ant standing on the seashore, yelling at the waves, you couldn't have come no farther, right? We, we have such a limited knowledge, even in our day, we have a limited knowledge, of all that there is. He says, even after millions of years, we will still be discovering the depths of God because we can't comprehend them in these trapped mortal bodies. If we are so foolish to think there is no God in eternity, then God uses the futility of life to test us, to prove to you and I the hopelessness of life without Him. I live, I die, and just like an animal, I return to the dirt. I'm just worm food. All we are left with is to be happy for our brief lives. Verse 22, I've seen that nothing is better than when a person is happy in his activities. For that is his lot. For who will bring him to see what will occur after him? As we look at all that Solomon has said in this chapter, we perhaps could summarize it this way. Every season of life and every event has its time which is appointed by God. Think through the experiences or the things that are going on in your life right now. Every season of life and every event has its time which is appointed by God. Each one has a purpose and a lesson for us to learn. God has revealed Himself to us, placing the knowledge of Himself within our hearts. He alone has given us this good and perfect gift and the, and the blessings that we experience in this life. However, will we acknowledge they are, are, they, they are from His hand? Will we acknowledge that those things that we enjoy are from His hand? will we also acknowledge the things that we don't enjoy 
are from His hand. If we fail to recognize His goodness, His grace, and mercy, we are destined to live a life of toil and grief and sorrow, always fearing the end of life and doing everything we can to prevent it. That's why the, you know, the vitamin market and the, and the um, what do you call it, the I'm losing my words here. Pardon? Fitness, yes, the fitness market, right? It's everything to make the body stronger and healthier. Listen, there's nothing wrong with that. We should. We should take care of, be good stewards of our bodies. But if our goal is just to prolong our life for as long as we can, Solomon says, that's vanity. That's silly. Because God, He is unwavering in His justice, and He will administer His justice to the world. For the righteous, He reserves eternal life for the wicked punishment. How much better, how much better that we would believe, that we would worship Him and walk in joyful obedience to Him, acknowledging what He's given us. Romans 8.31, it says, What then shall I say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him over for us all, how will He not also with Him freely give us all things? Hebrews 13, 6, so that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid, what will man do to me? We could walk out of this place and be excited about a relationship with Jesus Christ, a relationship with the creator of heaven and earth, and fear no man, no spiritual being, death, life, <coughs> Because God has told us in His Word, nothing can separate us from the love which is in Christ Jesus. And I pray, just I pray this for myself. I pray that we would forever keep our hearts fixed on Him. The author, as the Word says, the author and perfecter of our faith. May we joyfully worship and praise Him for all of His gifts and for the privileges of suffering. And I say this truly for the privilege of suffering for His name's sake. That we would see that even the difficult things of life are meant to perfect us, are meant to give us tools to minister to others in His name and in His power. Knowing He has prepared eternity for us with all the treasures of heaven, so it's not just that we look down the lens and say, oh, I can't wait for all that God is preparing. No, He has so much for us right now. <clears throat> so much for us to experience. So much for us to participate in His purposes. Amen? God, we come to You. knowing that you are perfect in holiness. Knowing that we add nothing to this life apart from what you 
impart to us. <coughs> we come to you as those purchased from certain death, grateful. Grateful at the opportunity to have meaning and purpose, to participate in your grand design. Lord, open our hearts and minds to the truth. May we not waste a moment thinking that there is just this or acting as if there is just this, this life and no more. Give us joy in the knowledge that we, we know there is more. Increase our joy and then that joy would provoke us to go and tell others. For your glory, we ask you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to week three of our Ecclesiastes study. If you're ever in the Portland area, we would love to have you visit us for one of our services. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at ccseportland.com. We hope you'll join us next week as we continue in our study together.